Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself, What would kids do? Then pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com. We've all got old stuff that we should toss, but an old 401k? Make sure it keeps working for you. A Fidelity Rollover IRA has no account fees or minimums to open. An easy-to-follow rollover process makes it simple to get started in under 15 minutes. Plus, you'll have access to a rollover specialist. Whether you've switched jobs or are just organizing your finances, learn more at fidelity.com rollover. Consider all your options and the applicable fees and features of each before moving your retirement assets. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. It's Monday, November 6th, 2017, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Indre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. Each week, we bring you a new in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide, and sports. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters. You can find us online at inquiring.show, on Twitter at inquiringshow, and on Facebook. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. Looking for fun trivia to impress your family and friends with this holiday season? Look no further. Since 1987, Portable Press has provided facts and trivia to those who crave it with the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Series. Not only will you be entertained, but you'll know a whole lot more about the world around you. Just go to portablepress.com minds to download a 20-page free sample of the new 30th anniversary title, Uncle John's Old Faithful Bathroom Reader. Or follow them on social media at Portable Press for more trivia and frequent book giveaways. Wait, 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 wait. Sports? Worst kept secret in the world is that I am a massive sports fan. I like everything. You can even find me watching cricket for every now and again. I mean, my main love is hockey, which speaks to your Canadian soul, I'm sure. Yes, and to the fact that lots of concussions happen in hockey. Yeah, lots of concussions happen a lot of places, but I'm a big football guy. I'm a huge Buffalo Bills fan. Winnipeg Jets are my hockey team. I even watch basketball. And we here in the Bay Area are blessed with one of the greatest sports teams maybe ever in the Golden State Warriors. Hey, do you know what I wanted to be when I was a kid when I grew up? A basketball player? Magic Johnson. Really? Yeah, my favorite, number 32. And then when he came out as having being HIV positive, it literally crushed me. I remember being like, you know, crying about it because I was worried he was going to die immediately. I had no idea you were a sports fan. Huge basketball fan. Not a sports fan. Basketball fan. Mm -hmm. Well, what's your team? Well, it was the Lakers. But, you know, who can root for the Lakers these days? Yeah, this is true. I think that's how the city of Los Angeles feels. So what was your, like, do you watch the Warriors? Have you seen the Warriors play? I have seen them play. Yes. Yes. They're a beautiful team. That is the number one adjective that's used is they play a beautiful brand of basketball. And for the longest time, you know, for listeners that might be from the Bay Area, no, this team stank, like stank up the joint for decades. And they had moments of success. But for the longest time, they were perennial losers. Yeah. In fact, I remember when people were like, hey, you know, the Warriors are in the championships. And I was like, no, they're not. They suck. And so the, the chronicling of their history from going from loser to maybe one of the greatest teams of all time. Some of the metrics, some of the analysis, especially that 538 and 8 Silver has done, indicates that that team that won a couple years ago might be one of the greatest basketball teams ever constructed. Wait, did somebody write Moneyball but for basketball? 
close. I mean, but this is more of a historical take. This is like really what that what this specific team did. And while it goes through, while this book goes through the history of some of their draft choices and management changes, what it also spends a lot of time talking about is how the Warriors integrated data, science, and technology into that equation of making them one of the most dominant teams we've ever seen. Hmm. So on this week's show, we have Eric Malinowski. He used to be a sports writer for Wired and Bleacher Report and a number of other outlets. And he's always written about sports at the intersection of sports and technology. And he spent a year embedded with the Warriors chronicling this historical tale in modern times. And we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the various technology, the emergence of new technology groups that are really part of the heart of what sports is now and how that's changing the experience for fans and the athletes. It's so exciting for me because there's actually a pretty long literature of sports psychology and how, you know, you can improve training by applying science to it. And it's something that I've been working to bring to classical music training for a couple of years now. And, you know, there are people who are interested in it, but it's still, it's not nearly as pervasive as it is in sports. So that's an awesome topic. We like, actually spend a bunch of time talking about sports psychology from purely from the perspective of emotional health of players. So you know when to give them time off. And I had no concept that this was a thing that was happening from the perspective of, of well-being. But it makes sense. I guess that's how you get to be one of the best basketball teams ever. So with that, we'll take a short break and be back with my interview with Eric Malinowski. This episode is sponsored by Chef Steps. Are you hosting a dinner party looking for a foolproof way to get perfect meats, poultry, and fish? Look no further than the Jewel sous vide machine. Every home cook can create chef level dishes thanks to precise temperature control. I own a Jewel, it is one of my favorite devices in the kitchen. It gives you precise temperature control and it's small enough to fit right into your drawer. Jewel makes sure your food will never over or undercook, so you're free to focus on your guests or whip up some amazing sides. There are over 100 recipes in the video-rich Jewel app. It's beautiful to help you cook almost every protein, from meat to poultry to fish to eggs, plus desserts, veggies, and more. And trust me, they're some of the best video recipes you've ever used. And if your guests are running late or apps and cocktails are taking longer than you expected, it's not a problem Jewel is ready when you are. Your food won't overcook. Jewel, perfect food every time. To get yours, visit chefsteps.com slash jewel and use the code MINDS to get $15 off for a limited time. That's chefsteps.com slash jewel, code MINDS. Eric Malinowski, welcome to Inquiring Minds. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. So I never think about science and sports colliding. I know there's a lot of like awful science and sports segments that you see on <laughs> SportsCenter every sure. now and again. Dave, like Brinkus shows up. Uh, but I am a massive sports guy. And uh, I, I sort of got turned on to this idea that technology and sports are colliding, you know, a, a decade ago. Uh, but we haven't seen realizations of what that looks like on the court. And and when it really hit home for me is, I, I think most of our listeners know that I work at the University of California, San Francisco. Hmm. And I was going on a tour of a lab and I walked in and it's sort of like a, you know, an athlete rehabilitation lab. And, um, you know, one of the scientists puts up a slide and it, you know, it has Andre Guadala on it. And I was <laughs> like, why, what are you doing with a, uh, 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 with that, with the warriors, mm -hmm. they're like, well, we study their sleep patterns. 
<laughs> so they right? literally like, mm-hmm. and I was like, what, you, why, what? And, and they just explained it like, you know, sleep is critical to their success. And, and so, and she's like, you shouldn't be surprised about this. Like all sports teams are working on tech this way. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could just comment generally. I mean, the, the whole, you know, there's a whole bit of your book that's really focused on how the warriors are leveraging this tech, but are we seeing a revolution in sports generally? Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I think that there are there, there's a there's been a lot of a leveling of the playing field in, in some regards the last few years, and and so I think the onus now has been on teams where I think they they largely have a really good handle on things like analytics and data aggregation and you know hiring the right sort of people that can parse that in ways that then can then be applied to let's just talk about specifically basketball for right now. But now it's looking about what is um, you know what is the next step and, and and sleep patterns really is one of those. I mean, the Warriors got on that bandwagon really early. You know, they partnered up with a researcher at Stanford named Sherry Ma, who I talked to for the book, and it was really interesting because obviously you can talk to people that have really great ideas about this stuff. They they're convinced that if you just apply it in in a sports setting, you know, you can actually win more games. I mean, that re- that is the bottom line for all of this. Is it, is it going to help you win more games? And so, but in some cases now you're talking about about how do you how do you apply that in a real way because you can have the greatest data you can have the best analytics but if you don't get the coaches and the players to buy in now you're sort of at a dead end so is the culture of the warriors a, a team that has obviously been so successful right. are they a team that's really bought into this idea they they have but it, it, it in some ways it's weird because a lot of this has happened in a really short amount of time i mean the warriors really only have been a decent nba team for 5 years and elite for 3 years but at the same token, it actually took a long time for them to buy into this. And, and part of that is getting the right players on board. And the other half of that is getting the right coaches on board. So they got a guy, you know, Andre Iguodala, like you said, Agudala, you know, this is a guy that had been studying sleep patterns before Sherry Ma came in to talk to the Warriors. So when she makes her pitch to the team, this is there's an advocate for that already built in. That's, that's so funny that it's like personality of a player right. can drive the science as much mm-hmm. as the science and tech itself. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about, but, but this you you need that because you're talking about walking into a room with athletes that are making millions of dollars and they believe that they are good at what they do because they take a two to three hour nap before the game. And now you have somebody coming in that they've never seen before and they're saying, oh, maybe you should keep that to 45 minutes or an hour. You're going to get a lot of pushback on that. And you need a guy like Iguodala in the room that is going to defend that on your behalf. And then, then comes the real process of trying to apply that in a basketball sense. So you really just need to... You need to be able to smooth it over in all these different ways. It, it, players are creatures of habit. Yes. Uh, and that's sort of like the the understand lore of the world. But can you give us an idea how ingrained some of those habits are and how difficult it was for some of these players to break them with this da- this new data that emerged? Yeah, I think, you know, sleep, you know, that, that was one way. I think that in, in sort of a basic foundational basketball sense, um, you know, you're, you're talking about guys that have played a certain style of basketball, let's say. You know, they've, you know, this traditional sort of pick and roll kind of thing. Uh, they have very sort of set plays. And then you have analytics that can say, well, if you have a more uh, fluid or free-flowing offensive approach – um, that's going to help you score. And at the same time, now you have analytics on the defensive end and you can look at those and you can say, look guys, you know, let's just back up and say the Warriors were not exactly the most defensively sound team up until about three years ago when they were playing under Mark Jackson. They scored a lot, but they didn't play really good defense. But then they bring in a guy like Steve Kerr and they can look at the analytics and Steve Kerr's an analytically minded guy and he can say, look, 
if you guys play smart defense at this end, that's actually going to make your offense more efficient. So you can get guys to buy in at both ends, whereas they've never done that before. And that's what we've seen with the Warriors. They actually, they're they're the, one of the best two-way teams that we've ever seen in NBA history. They score so much. Their offense is so efficient, but their defense is always top five in the league. And that's just nothing that we've seen at both ends of the court before. So let's dig into some of these analytics, both on, sure. on how it's done. Your book, before we get there, it describes in exquisite detail the tortured history of the Warriors before Quite they tortured. even uh, get right. to this point um, from ownership foibles and right. GM transitions over and over to disrespect of their own players yeah. uh, historically. Uh, and then we get to this point where suddenly you have a, a new owner that is of Silicon Valley right. uh, who brings a different ap- a- approach here. Uh, and one of the things I re- that really stuck out in your in your book is you talk about being an Oracle Arena, which is kind of aging, mm-hmm. you know, beast. Of Literally the oldest building in the NBA. Um, and being up on catwalks right. and seeing where they've installed new hardware. Right. So this goes back to so the new ownership group came in in the summer of 2010. This was uh, it was led by a Hollywood producer named Peter Guber. And a, a longtime Silicon Valley venture capitalist named Joe Lacob, who had worked at Kleiner Perkins for 25 years, and you know had been involved in you know all of these you know big IPOs, been on these boards. He, he'd seen a lot of what went right and what went wrong. Um, he'd also been a minority owner of the Boston Celtics, and so he had a little bit of an idea about the NBA. He'd also been a decade-long season ticket holder for the Warriors. So when he bought into this, he I think he understood what was at stake. He understood the culture. And he really uh, had an acute understanding of the job that lay in front of him. And the Warriors at that time were a uh, historically dreadful team. That, and that might even be underselling it a little bit. They had missed the playoffs in 16 out of 17 seasons uh, leading up to their their ownership coming in. It almost takes uh, a weird kind of effort to be that bad at basketball, but the Warriors had done that. So, you know, Lakeup comes in and he looks at it and he says – you know, we we have a lot to lose financially because they had paid a record sum of money, $450 million. That was the most anyone had ever paid for an NBA team. And they said, well, we have a lot to lose financially, but we don't have a lot to lose on the basketball side. So this could be an interesting sort of case study. We're going to rebuild. We don't have to strip a lot down, but, you know, we, we can rebuild this in a way that uh, that resembles more of a Silicon Valley startup. And so that you know involves you know embracing innovation you know this idea of you know not knowing where the next good idea in the room is going to come from that whole sort of thing and empowering your employees uh, to be the best they can be but that's also the science aspect and it's about you know embracing the geography of Silicon Valley and all of these startups and, and all of these third parties that are out here that you know m- maybe not all of them are going to revolutionize basketball but maybe some of them are going to and just seeing what's out there and just trying to use that to you know, use that to your advantage where other teams in the NBA can't can't utilize that. So the cameras that were installed on the catwalk, I think it was a company called Sportview that was using this. Yeah. So this was so th- I wrote this up in the spring of 2011. It was just at the tail end of the first season that the new ownership came in, and so I wrote a story for Wired. Uh, dot com about how they were the only the fifth team in the NBA to sign on to the system. The other four were, you know, the Texas Triangle of teams: San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, along with Oklahoma City, and these were teams that were very analytical analytically inclined. Uh, and then and then there was the Warriors who were not known for their analytics. But but yeah, this is a system where it's motion tracking capture. And so you install, you know, five, uh, five or six cameras around the arena. Oh, not that many. No, really not that many. And, and it's not, uh, you know, I think you're talking about, you know, maybe 50 to $100,000 total installation costs. Uh, but this was a very, this was a technology that was really in its infancy back then. And so this was, 
you know, this was something that had spurned out of, you know, we think about like, uh, you know, the, the yellow first down line in the NFL. So that's done by a company called Sport Vision, which is also it's based in Mountain View. Um, so is it, this is a technology that sort of grew out of something like that. And so this was a company that was actually it was based in Israel. And the technology was used for missile tracking initially. And oh, so, so it had image recognition of yes, large objects. It, basically. And so you figure, well, if you could track a missile, maybe you could track a, a sport ball <laughs> of okay. some kind. So um, and, and basketball really lent itself to this because – you know, the parameters of the sport are really structured and it's a really fluid game. It's actually, it, relatively speaking, it's a very small dimension of the court and there's only five guys on each team and there's one ball. And so you actually have a pretty good idea of where the ball could be at any given time. You say the inverse of this is football, where it's just such a large field. There's so many variables at play. The ball is an oblong shape. It's all these things. There's weather. There's all sorts exactly. of other Exactly. There's all sorts yeah. of the stuff that plays into it. Basketball is really tailor-made for this sort of analytical breakdown. So they apply this in a basketball sense. The company was owned, you know, by by they had various owners over the years, like Stats LLC, which is one of the big statistical companies. Like Rupert Murdoch's News Corp had a, a stake in it, so they had all these owners over the years. But they finally were able to break into the NBA around that sort of 2010 time frame, and so. And so the Warriors figured, you know, we're going to get in on the ground floor of this. They they had no idea what they were going to do with this data. But to their credit, they at least had the foresight to say, look, this, this technology is so new. Uh, there aren't even people around the NBA that know what to do with this really. But we're going to start aggregating this data. We're going to start collecting it. And when we do figure out and when there are people that are, you know, educated in this field, we're going to know what to do with it because we're going to have one or two or three seasons of data already in our database. So suddenly they had information about like like for a player like Steph Curry, like every single moment he was on the court where right. he was. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're basically talking about, you know, things that we never thought would be quantifiable before. You're talking about, you know, how many times does a guy dribble per possession? You can break it down like that. You're talking about literally how fast are guys moving on the court? You know, what is their average rate of speed? And so you can look at all those things and, and you, they're sort of interesting in a vacuum. But then they also get more interesting when you can apply them in another sense. Now you're talking about can you analyze a guy's, you know, fatigue level? You know, can you can you drill it down to that aspect? And then you're talking about, you know, sort of the holy grail is now you're talking about injury prevention. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of this long line of steps that you have to go through. But that really was the first step. It was sort of breaking it down on just sort of like a game by game level and then figuring out how do we apply this in a basketball kind of so, way. So the Warriors spent a couple of years just aggregating this data. Basically, And yeah. not doing a whole lot with, with yeah. it. Then, then that corner started to turn. They started to apply this a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, they started hiring the right kind of guys. You know, uh, the the uh, the son of the owner, so Joe Lacob was the owner. His son, Kirk Lacob, was actually happened to be a recent Stanford graduate at the time that his father bought the franchise. And so, you know, Kirk comes in as an assistant general manager. Uh, he's actually, you know, he, he's got people that he knows, like from his dorm room at Stanford, you know, guys that are, you know, working on these types of startups, you know, so this is a guy, you know, that has connections, but... Um, yeah, I mean, they are. You know, they hire a guy like Sammy Gelfand, you know, who's one I think one of the silent stars of the book. But this is a guy, you know, who comes up, works his way through the developmental league, which is basically the minor leagues of the NBA. Um, but this is a guy who's very analytically inclined, very savvy. This is a guy who basically takes the job. You know, he's the first guy the Warriors have that can who can parse this data, can make up these reports, you know, um, and and act as a liaison to the coaching staff and say, look. You know, maybe this reads like Greek to you guys, but we can apply this in a basketball sense. And if you guys do A, B, C, and D, uh, maybe we can, you know, try to win a few more games. How do you think that's been realized? It's hard to point like a, you know, pinpoint and say like, you know, this 
sort of effort led to this many more points per game for right. the Warriors output. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's nearly impossible to do that. But what do you think the impact has been for the culture of the organization? Yeah, yeah it, it's a good question. It's it's less of a like super granular thing, and it's just more of like a. It does become sort of a macro thing over time. I think you know you can't look and there's not like a whole lot of sort of very specific examples, but you know there are examples where you say you know in terms of granularity, it's like you know the term they use is redlining. You know they so they they use a lot of this data. They a lot use these analytics. They also do like personal player evaluations, for example. Like this is a big part of the science aspect is trying to get inside these players' heads, know uh, what they have been doing, to know what they're feeling. Uh, and then they try to sort of look at all of these things in their totality. And the idea is, you know, when are these guys redlining? When do they need a night off is basically the bottom line. And so they figure if they can get to a point where they go to these guys and they can show them the evaluations and they say, look, you know, you answered these questions. We looked at your, you know, play from the last five or 10 games. We really think that um, that you'll you'll benefit from a night off. And they can, if you look at that, you can state your case then you can have a, you know, legit, there's not going to be as much pushback. They legit do psychological profiling of the players to understand this? Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. I, I, I say almost dumbfounded because, like, I, I think the only thing I'm familiar with like that in pro sports is the Wonderlick test, which is the exactly, right. NFL combine test. It, it's kind of a joke. Wait, wait, yeah, right, which is historically, like, unreliable. Unreliable. <laughs> right. And, but so they, they do spend a lot of time they looking do. at the emotional health of their players. Yeah, because they figured, you know, who better to help us get inside their heads than the athletes themselves. But they, they like looking at the whole equation. Like, they just don't look at the science. You know, it, it's the whole, it's the head and the heart, you know, mm-hmm. kind of aspect. And so they try to they try to combine all of those because I think they realize that in that way you can get sort of a fuller picture of what is happening. And so you can't, you know, drill down on these with like 100% accuracy, but at least then you can make a compelling case and figure it well. If you give a guy a night off, at least he's not going to get injured that night. But at least if you could try to prevent an injury from happening, then you can feel those benefits down the line. So I grew up on like Lakers-Celtics rivalry in the mm-hmm. 80s. And like the stats we would get back then when I would watch games with my dad and my brother, you might get points per game. Sure. Um, and you might get like rebounds per game. Right. And if you were super, super lucky, you might get how many minutes they played. Right. And that was that was the stats for mm-hmm. the NBA. Maybe you would get some team stats on the same level, like average mm-hmm. point score. Sure. In the last few years, there's whole new categories of mm-hmm. player evaluation. Yeah. PER is like is now like parlance player efficiency rating yeah yeah, for common um you know fans can you talk about some of the new evaluation uh, metrics that have developed out of uh these efforts it's really exciting because it really in in a lot of senses it helps us to normalize the nba across generations you know i feel like this is something that we've seen in baseball with things like ops plus you know which does you know sort of account for what the league was like at that time so it's not (laughs) just ops plus is on base plus slugging Uh, what's the no no OPS plus is normalized to 100 and then it's like however higher than 100 you are Uh, that's representation so yes it's sort of but 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 what it takes into account is like what the average player was like in the league that year Mm -hmm. and so I think when you have analytics that can do that then all of a sudden then it becomes more exciting because then you can look at you know how does uh, Steph Curry's player efficiency rating rank to say you know Wilt Chamberlain in 1962 or something like that so is that actually useful I mean that's useful for a 
journalists because you you can put sure. them in like a mm-hmm. an overall ranking. But wouldn't they be more interested in how does you know Steph compared to Russell Westbrook at Oklahoma City? Yeah, exactly. I think so. So I think for for the sort of the modern day for player to player, it, it's things like you know on court efficiency, uh, uh, offensive efficiency. So it's this idea of you know how much better is your team. Uh, with you on the court as opposed to off. And then also we can compare player versus player. So how is Steph's, uh, let, let's say Draymond Green and Blake Griffin, how, how you know, we, we know that Draymond Green is an effective defender on Blake Griffin, but you look at Griffin's offense efficiency with Draymond Green on the court and with him off the court, and you all of a sudden you see this huge disparity. So it's, it's, it's very clear, you know, you're not just dealing with sample size and things like that. Like there is clearly a Draymond Green effect. And so I think for me, you know, that was the reasons why, like, I could not have written this book in any of era because I, I, I try to put a, as much of those examples in there because it gives you this idea of how does one player's performance, not just quantifying his own performance, but how does it affect other people on the court, not just his teammates, but who he's playing against. Yeah, I think uh, I don't remember what the stat is called, but there there is some stat that I heard in the context of Russell Westbrook about how often the person that he passes to scores. Right, exactly. So it's is, like assist rate. Yeah. Exactly. Um, right. Which is like an amazing level of depth we're going to here. <laughs> right. I feel like somewhere Charles Barkley's head is exploding. Like there's As a whole, well it should be because he's wrong on a lot of this yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a whole like class in almost every sport, the old school sports types that are like, no, we need to manage this by gut feel and people that played the game. How much, how, how is that sort of cultural balance of, of mm-hmm. people still you know, making calls based on experience um, versus data. Like how, how is that shifting internally? Because I'm sure Steve Kerr, when he's out there coaching is still making calls based on what he sees with his eyes. Right. And not purely from the data. No, I mean, you know, Steve Kerr is kind of like, I feel like he really is sort of like the platonic ideal of like, you know, where the NBA coaching, where where the evolution is happening. You know, one of the great anecdotes I have in the book is, you know, Steve talks about, you know, uh, when, when he was in Phoenix. So before he was the head coach of the Warriors, he was the general manager of the Phoenix Suns. It was not it was not a highly successful run, but there was one anecdote from his time there that I think was pretty illuminating. And so, you know, they're talking about, you know, re- possibly replacing their all-star center, Amari Stoudemire. So they're, they're, they're looking at prospective players who do really well, like down in the paint, who score really close to the rim. And so, you know, there was one, uh, one of the, one of the analysts in the room said something to the effect of, well, there's one guy we get who's more efficient than Stoudemire. You know, he's scoring, you know, 65% at the rim and Stoudemire is like 62%. And and Steve was just completely incredulous about this. And so they actually pull up the video and it's just like, you know, all of his plays are at the rim. You know, none of them are two feet away or three feet away. So it was actually like a really, you know, but the way that the stat is analyzed, it's like zero to three feet at the rim. So it's this idea that oh, this guy, he he's not as agile, like he doesn't do jump hooks or anything like that. Like they're all just dunks. You know what I mean? So he's not this sort of skilled, agile player at the rim. So it's great to look at the analytics and, t- and and understand them for what they are, but you also need to have the eye test. You need to look at the video. You need to be able to parse it in a way, and you need to have a healthy sort of skepticism in all of this. And I think that that's helped him be a better coach, and that's also helped him convey the right kind of analytics to the players themselves because he was a player himself. He understands this stuff, and he understands that these guys are set in their ways, but there's also ways that they can help them play better basketball. So if we had the opportunity, if Steve Kerr and Joe Lacob were here and mm-hmm. you know, even some of the players like Curry and Durant were sitting here and we we put it to them, like how much has data made a difference in you winning two championships and setting the win record in the regular season 
Uh, how much is it internally within the players and coaches themselves? Do they see this as just normal operating business and core to what they do now? I mean, I mean, I think that they would be pretty, pretty all in about it. You know, I think you you spend enough time around this That's team. That's shocking day. to me. For it some is, but reason. you know, this is this is something that they have spent years cultivating. Um, you know, th- this was this is certainly not the way it was five years ago, but this is the way it is now. And in some ways, now it sort of becomes a self feeding thing because. For years, they were so careful about, you know, bringing in the right kind of guys, like bringing in a guy like Andre Iguodala was so critical at such an important moment in that franchise. And now they've had so much success and they brought in, they're so comfortable with their locker room chemistry. You know, now you can see they bring in guys like, uh, like a Matt Barnes from last year or JaVale McGee, for example, who, uh, JaVale McGee known as being a knucklehead. I was just, I was going to say, I I did a radio interview with someone in Washington, DC. He used to play for, for, for the Wizards. And and the radio host said, that guy used to be such a knucklehead uh, when he played here. What did you guys do to him? And I said, well, you know, I mean, this just, it's not about, you know, rehabilitating these guys, but it's just allowing them to sort of be the best kind of basketball player that they can be. And so when you have, you know, the stats and the analytics that say you can play JaVale McGee for 10 minutes a night and you're going to get the best possible 10 minutes from him and he's going to do, you know, he's just going to do A, B, and C and he's not going to try to do a whole bunch of other things and you can get him to buy into that. Now you're just now you're not only optimizing JaVale McGee, but that has, you know, ancillary effects all down the line. And one pl- how one player does is affecting what every other player is doing. Where's the evolution of this going? Are, are we going to in another five years, are we going to see Steve Kerr's like with tablets on the <laughs> sidelines and like, you know, um, and, you know, real time analytics from the booth upstairs or uh, or is that a little Silicon Valley fantasy? I think it's going to be something close to that. I think that um, I think they've done a lot of stuff as it appear as it contends to like on court kind of things. I think that a lot of what you're going to see is going to be behind the scenes. So, you know, like I said before, I think the holy grail is injury prevention. That that sort of is the holy grail in every sport. Um, if you can literally get to the point where you know we know that we're playing this player right up until this point. And then we're going to pull back because, you know, he's going to sprain an ankle or he's going to, you know, God forbid, tear an ACL or something like that. Once you can get pretty close to that point, now you're talking about decisions that, you know, affect your franchise in like the millions of dollars kind of way. Because, you know, we, we saw, you know, we, we saw what happened with Gordon Hayward just in the season opener for the Boston Celtics. Don't watch you know, that. Just a, Don't watch just that a, video. But it's just a, it's a devastating thing for that franchise. Yeah. And it was such a, a, a key uh, part of what they were hoping to do this year. You know, once you get to the point where not 100% preventing the next Gordon Hayward, but maybe 40 or 50%, that can have a huge effect on a franchise. So I think that's the part where all these franchises are looking right now. I think they understand that science and tech is going to be a big part of that equation, but it's going to be it's going to be about that and it's going to be about a lot of other things. So the first one to really crack that code, um, I think we're going to that, that that's going to be a sea change in not just the NBA, but other sports. How much of a competitive advantage is it going to be going forward? I mean, the way you sort of tell the story in the book is, sure, the Warriors made smart decisions sure. regarding the data, but they weren't the first one or no. the only one to be doing this. Is, right. is this going to mm-hmm. also be normalized in a couple of years where every franchise is doing this? So it it's just doesn't matter. It's tough because, you know, one of the one of the key criticisms I hear of the war is and it's not a criticism, you know, it's, it's there's validity to it is 
they have a lot of talent also. And, and talent yeah. is a yeah, huge, that... huge part of this equation. And in writing the book, I don't mean to discount the role that having large, you know, hugely talented players. You know, I think that Joe Lake himself has sort of gotten in trouble in the past with some public comments he's made and where he seems to be, you know, discounting the effect of having a Steph Curry on the team and the importance of having a Steph Curry. Uh, I think with the book, I, I hope that what the big takeaway is that it's talent, but it's also a lot of other things. You know, we've seen elite teams before in the NBA, uh, but what the Warriors have done, especially these last three years, has actually been unprecedented in a lot of ways. And so for me, that sort of goes beyond talent. It, it goes to, you know, what they embrace off the court. It goes to the philosophies that they try to instill, not just in their players, but their executives. And really just it's all of these things. And that's how you get from like a 65-win team that is a good favorite to win the title to a 73-win team that is an overwhelming favorite to win a title. So it, it, it's all of those things. And, and But at the same time, you know, it's it's been a really interesting story. You know? I, I'm curious. The, the, the last real point I have is I, I'm really curious about how this development is going to interact with fan bases. Um, We've seen uh, recently so many more of these stats are openly discussed sure. in, the, in the context often of like fantasy games for, mm -hmm. for um, fans, but also openly on ESPN and mm -hmm. other highlight shows. And the fans seem to be craving this level yeah, of depth. It's insatiable. Of in, yeah, depth of information, which I'm sort of surprised at because it gets real dense real quick. Yeah. Um, do you see, is that helping drive this conversation forward at all? They, are the fans contributing to this movement at all? Yeah, it's interesting because I I think that it's been it's been a delicate uh, evolution over the years. I think that the, obviously I think the NBA is sort of the most progressive uh, of of all of the major sports leagues when it comes to this sort of thing. I think hockey's been really good about this sort of thing. You know, you look at some of the advanced metrics there. I think there's been a real embrace with the fans. Uh, I, I think basically, that, if you start an analytics hockey blog, <laughs> some team will hire you. Exactly, you're, you're guaranteed to get a. And actually, and, and this happens a lot in the NBA as well. You've seen a lot of a lot of people that do you know data viz and things like that, and, and even just you know even just through written stories, you know they get they get snapped up by these NBA teams, and and so they, they, that's that's where a lot of the next frontier is, but. Yeah, I think they understand that their fans, uh, they get an inkling that their fans are ready to embrace this and then they push the envelope a little bit. They understand that we can give them a little more and a little more and just if you know that this is where the future direction of the league is headed, you know, it really behooves you to embrace that and to understand that this is what the NBA is going to be in 5, 10, 20 years and it, you really should be the ones to, to be out in front of all of that. You know, so often the story is that there are all these nerds behind the scenes at these right. teams that are driving it. Mm -hmm. But I like what what you sort of detail is like it's the players themselves yeah. are, are nerding up. There's and not a lot of hunching over Excel spreadsheets. No, in this <laughs> but I mean, the players aren't doing that, but they think there's so much money at stake. Right. The longevity of their careers is so short in right. most cases that they see how much is at stake for them. So they're invested in these conversations nearly as much as the analytics people themselves. Yeah. And that has been fascinating to think about Kevin Durant as a nerd <laughs> and not just, a, you right. know, I, I think players are often talked about as like, oh, they have to be smarter now about their image and their business sure. interests, but they have to be smarter about the science and data about themselves too. Yeah. I mean, I think they understand that, that it's all of those things. They can be smarter about those things, but you know, if you're in an organization where, you know, they're, they're looking out for your health and your well-being, and, uh, and they understand that, 
you know, this is, um, this could be a long journey and there could be a lot of success in this. And I think that, you know, winning sort of helps breed that sort of culture, but this is something that they embraced from the beginning. They understood that maybe this wasn't going to work out. Um, and for a couple of years there at the beginning, they did make a lot of mistakes, but to their credit, uh, they learned from those, they, they, they stuck to it. They believed in it and they brought in the right kind of personnel. And when you have that plus talent that, you know, is still on this sort of extreme growth and development curve, you're going to reap a lot of benefits. And I think that's, they, they've sort of been the product of that. So my final question is, you know, you grew up in a similar age as me, like before all of this development sure. and you've been a sports fan forever. How has this impacted your enjoyment of the game just as a fan? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it increases it because I feel, um, I feel like I know more about the NBA uh, than I ever have before. And yeah, this applies to other things that baseball and other sports that I follow pretty closely, but specifically with the NBA, I just feel like there are so many new insights to be drawn. And I think that, and, and this is, you know, I think statistics help tell the game in a different kind of way. I think they help you drill down to another uh, layer that's not there on the surface. And I just think that that's where we're headed right now. That's uh, and it just it increases my enjoyment of the game. I feel like I'm smarter about the game. Uh, I feel like I can talk about it with other people in different ways. And I just feel like uh, this is where the sport is headed. And I feel like you know, as long as I, I'm so happy that the NBA embraces this, I don't feel like this is some sort of like underground movement, you know, that some subset of fans is doing. Like, this is what the NBA is now. They understand that. And it's all above board. And I think it just makes the sport a whole lot more fun. The book is called Beta Ball, how Silicon Valley and science built one of the greatest basketball teams in history. And regardless of the fact that while we're recording this, they're on one and on pace for having the losingest season of all time. That, that is what this, the analytics are telling us. Yeah. Obviously, they're going to lose every game. I know I, I can I can draw trend lines in Excel. Based That's on fine. This one they're going to bounce point. back. They've learned from their mistakes before. They'll do it again. <laughs> Eric Malinowski, thanks so much for joining us on Inquiring Minds. Thanks for having me. I love talking to Eric. We actually spent like another half hour off air just talking about sports. But, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the tech, like the the companies that have emerged, like these new era of data analysts, all of the this emerging economy that's, that's exploded. But we also touch on some of the more biological aspects of sports enhancement and science that's being applied. And I have to say, even though I'm a massive sports fan, I guess I'm still surprised that, you know, the Golden State Warriors have a of a sleep specialist. Oh, you shouldn't be. I mean, we're going to have Matt Walker on the show very soon, as soon as our schedules can coincide. And he just wrote a book called Why We Sleep. And, you know, his whole thing is that sleep is essentially more important than any other biological activity in terms of well-being. Yeah, we talk about it briefly in the interview, this idea of like, you know, players that are used to taking a nap for from three to five and then getting some data from scientists being like, you should only actually take a 45 minute nap. And how difficult that is to sort of square those two uh, two items together. But uh, I sort of think that like the it's it seems so excessive that isn't there any part of you that like here's a team that now has a sports psychologist with them. They have sleep specialists with them. Their their biology is monitored to the nth degree. They're probably getting scans, 
you know, every few weeks uh, to ensure injury pre- prevention. How much is too much? Is there such a thing? Well, I mean, I think, you know, this is now what a several billion dollar industry. And, uh, you know, when when that's your th- those are your that's who's making all the billions for you. I think it makes a lot of sense to track all these different things. I mean, you think about an actor in Hollywood who has a huge entourage, you know, people who dress them and tell them what to say and how to look and, and everything. So that that doesn't surprise me at all, especially if the data back it up. You know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the whole nap thing is is interesting, too. I kind of wanted to get back to that a little bit. Um, because, of course, there's there's actually really interesting data that different stages of sleep promote different aspects of training. So like skill and habit learning, for example, is often what we do during REM sleep, which is when we're dreaming, which is why we, you know, if we played Tetris all day, we're going to dream about Tetris. And um, so, you know, I, the, the three to five uh, thing makes sense if you get into REM sleep and then you can improve on that later on. It doesn't make sense if it lets you sleep less during the night because during the night you can get into these long periods of REM sleep. So maybe that's where it's coming from. But I think that actually, you know, you, you just as that example shows, you can have a measurable difference on a person's training by manipulating some of these variables. So we had Zach Wienersmith on a couple weeks ago and he talked about brain computer interfaces. So where's the line? Do you see, I like, I could see athletes like ingesting trackers, like not for augmentation, because that would sort of make it unfair, not non-level playing field. But, you know, could a basketball player, you know, ingest like some sort of monitoring system that's going to measure blood oxygen level, you know, 24-7? Yeah, or or hormonal levels, right? Are they stressed? Are they high in cortisol? And I think that in some ways, like, that's really exciting to me, because one of the areas of research that we know so little about is the endocrine system is how our hormones function in our bodies, how they how they work with circadian rhythms. We actually don't know that much about it. And I think that maybe that's a new frontier. So maybe by like tracking cortisol levels in the bloodstream of, you know, a basketball player, we'll actually learn how stress can uh, degrade your body and stop some of these problems related to aging. Look, I'm a massive sports fan, and I understand how, m- how much money is at stake. But even... Even me, I'm, I'm like, the science is kind of taking a little bit of the fun out of this. It is, like, because I, I watch sports for the personal drama, the drama of, of, of the game. And there's some way that quantifying aspects of that, like, robs some element of that for me. And that's my own hang up. But well, I also think I mean, you're not alone. I think a lot of people enjoy superstitious beliefs, because they provide the sense that there's like either out there an order in the universe or things that we don't understand, or is there there's like, you know, there, there's this kind of extra force that is not predictable, right? So, you know, I, I think that if everything is totally predictable on the basis of your biological measurements, then of course, it's not exciting, because you know exactly who's going to win. Um, but I also love the fact that, you know, the people who are benefiting from basketball or, you know, from these these sports uh, activities, the owners, right, uh, they're actually becoming less interested in superstition. So Mark Cuban is a great example of someone who banned those magnetic, um, you know, necklaces from from his players because he knew they didn't work and he didn't like the fact that they're suspicious. Even if they had a placebo effect and made his players like think they're playing better, he was like, I don't want that in my locker room. All right, maybe that's too much sports ball No, I think that's great. Okay, so that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us for this installment of Inquiring Minds. And we'd like to thank our supporters on our Patreon campaign, especially David Noel, Clark Lindgren, Stefan Meyer Ewald, 
Michael Galgool, Kyle Rahala, Joel, Jonathan Worsley, Yushi Lin, Eric Clark, Jordan Millar, Herring Chen, Sean Johnson, and Nick Cadillac. You can visit our website at inquiring.show, and you can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. You can find us on Twitter at inquiringshow and Facebook, and you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas, your best basketball stories, or anything else you'd like to contact at inquiring.show. We also accept hockey stories. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac in cooperation with The Climate Desk, a journalistic collaboration in partnership with many media outlets. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rian Chien. And we're your hosts. I'm Indre Viscontis. You can find me on Twitter at Indre Vis. And I'm Kishore Hari at Science Quiche. See you next week. Parents, when you visit California, childhood rules. If you don't remember how awesome childhood is, just ask yourself. What would kids do? Dance to a giant organ played by ocean waves? Yep. Camp in floating tree houses hundreds of feet off the ground? Check. Jump in a big tub of mud on purpose? Call it rejuvenation. We don't care. Just pack your fun pants and let childhood rule your family vacation. If you need help, ask your kids. Start planning at visitcalifornia.com.